Hello, you're listening to Baddie Bitches. In this episode, I had guest Katie Pack to discuss studios, whether you're working from a home studio or a shared community space. What do we need to make our studio run efficiently and effectively? Safe studio practices and having a studio on a budget. If you're just starting to play with clay, you'll want to hear this one. Time to get batty. Hello, Katie. How are you? I am doing so very well. Very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you and learn about all the stuff that you do in your studio and your artistic background and I love your work, so I really, I was like, ooh, let's have Katie on the pod. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. So for those who don't know you, can you please describe your artistic background? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was definitely one of those people who's been an artist my whole life, always drawing, that kind of thing. Um, Then I ended up going to... Uh, Penn State for my undergrad and studying ceramics there so just really like fostered a love Um, and then a couple years ago I came out to California and I started making um, a functional line of work that is it, it employs like lots of really fun textures and patterns and colors and I do a lot of hand painting of animals and plants um yeah, so that's been that's been the last couple of years for me, um, and super excited about a lot of the recent stuff I've been making. Uh, how has your studio changed over time? I know you just you said that you moved to California, but what was it like in at Penn State or where you were in, in college? Um, Penn State was such a lovely studio. Uh, you're constantly surrounded by so many people who are at different stages in their making process. Um, the Penn State studio was shared between the BFAs and the MFAs, uh, so the folks in grad school and the rest of us undergraduates. So we had studios literally right across the hallway from one another, and we could always kind of pop in and get feedback and see what other people were working on. Uh, and the BFA studios were shared as well. So we're all in this space making work together, which I, I find it so inspiring to be surrounded by other artists. Uh, I really like feed off of their creative energy. I think it's such a beautiful thing to be you know, working with other people in a space. Uh, and that I, w- I would say like that was one of the, the best times as well, because you could see students coming in and working people who like wouldn't maybe this is their first ceramics class or something and just seeing the way that they introduce themselves to clay I always thought was so wonderful um yeah yeah and then I I graduated and I ended up moving out to San Diego um and kind of got really lucky. I went to this art fair and I started talking with this glass blowing artist. Uh, and they basically told me, Oh, I'm in this studio. We're looking for a ceramic. And I was like, well, I'm a ceramic artist. <laughs> so <laughs> I you ended up 
coming up to, to this place and, you know, meeting the owner and, and talking about their history as a nonprofit artist space. And they run a um, hot glass blowing shop as well. Uh, and it's, you know, a place where workshops have happened and, you know, they just try to be involved with the community and there's a few different like ceramic artists who have like been through here over the years. So it's nice to, to be a part of uh, that legacy and community as well. So, and even today at the studio, uh, we have a group of wood turners um, that come and they set up all their wood chucks out in the outdoor patio. And so they're all out there wow. right now making bowls and different things. So it's, That's awesome. yeah, it's just an awesome meeting of, meeting of the minds and creators <laughs> when you moved after college you moved to california you didn't have a studio at all you were just basically going out and hoping for the best i yeah i was you know i i graduated and i i didn't really know what my plan was and i was kind of up for an adventure and I'm, I consider myself a little bit of a nomadic individual. I don't like to stay in the same place for too long. So I figured, you know, come out here. Um, I was, I was dating somebody at the time who got into uh, San Diego State University for their graduate program. So it was an opportunity for them and an opportunity for me to just be in somewhere new, explore new things and opportunities. Um, so yeah, it just it worked out perfectly. Awesome. So I want to give a little bit of a background for my beginning studio adventure. I graduated college at New Hampshire Institute of Art. And then after college, I didn't have a studio space. And I was kind of like, oh, no, I'm sad. <laughs> I don't have anywhere to work. And I got a tiny wheel for the holidays and I put it up in our living room and I just had like two little containers, one for water, one for recycling clay, and then my wheel and it was on a TV dinner tray right next to our stove, like our wood stove. Yeah. So I was yeah. dealing with that and then I would borrow the local schools kiln whenever they would let me so that was very helpful but a pain in the neck because I had to figure out a time schedule of when my work will be done versus their work and is it appropriate timing that it all fell in the right places so that was kind of annoying for me because yeah, I always, yeah I had to maneuver their schedule with mine and I had to transport all my work back and forth. So that was a headache in on its own. But yeah, and then I moved out of my parents' house into an apartment with my then boyfriend, now fiance. And I was still using my TV dinner tray. So that happened for almost a year and a half. And then... I moved into the apartment I'm in now, and now I have a home studio, and it's much bigger, thankfully. <laughs> I don't know 
if I would have lasted the way I was working because it was just it was too small of a space for the amount of work that I wanted to pull off. So it just wasn't working. Yeah, and then I got my own kiln and we hooked it up in the basement of the apartment. Luckily, my father owns the apartment building, so I was able to have a kiln where I live. So yeah, it just all fell in the right places, I guess, and I'm here now. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody, you know, with with ceramics, it's so hard because it really does require, you know, a little bit more setup than other maybe two-dimensional arts. Um, and, you know, the kiln is probably like the biggest thing because you need like special plugs and space and, you know, yeah. it's almost impossible to have one if you live in an apartment and like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, there's so many things that make it a real challenge for working at home. Um, I would say that in times where I've been without a ceramic studio, uh, more often than not, I do turn towards feeding my two dimensional practice. I spend a lot of time drawing and painting and, you know, kind of recouping from ceramics time in the studio uh and I don't know I feel like that time is is so important for me as well um sort of allowing the universe to say to me oh maybe maybe you're not supposed to be making ceramics right now what other things could you do to feed your creative practice um especially like if I'm traveling or that kind of thing uh it's yeah, just so, so important. I think for me to take downtime and time away, um, even, even in my time at school, I would say like summers were sort of, uh, needed reprieve. Cause I would, I was so intense with my studio practice. I'd be in the ceramic studio, you know, eight hours, at least a day, every day, just making, making, making all the time. And then summer would happen. I, I wouldn't either have access to the studio or, um, I'm from, I'm from Texas. I spent, I spent one summer at home, um, during my freshman year. And so I didn't have access to a studio then at all. And it was all about just drawing every day, watercolor. Um, and it was, yeah, just such a nice time to reflect on, you know, things that I'd made that year or where I wanted to see my work go in the future and what sort of things I was feeling really excited about, like sort of taking a, taking a breath and saying, how do I feel about my practice right now versus when you're in the studio, it's so easy just to you know, put the next task in front of you and say, Oh, I need to work on this. I need to build this next. I need to paint these next, you know, so it's just going all the time. Um, yeah, I don't, (laughs) yeah, I understand completely. You need to take a step back and see what's happening in your life versus what your passions are. And I feel like things will fall into the right places in time and what you put into it, you'll get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
even I I just finished a, a pretty large body of work for me. I'm I'm a, really a small maker. I small batch maker. Um, and afterwards, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna just gonna take a take some time off from the studio and and recoup and you know look back on on what I made and how I'm feeling about all of it and yeah it's just been it's just been great and now I would say the last two weeks I've really been you know picking things back up and <laughs> getting back into the swing of things yeah in my studio practice I love to live in a space I call two and a half D to like <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm almost sculptural and then I'm, you know, just yeah. sort of walking that tightrope between, you know, texture and, and the visual side of things. Yeah. I mean, ceramics is like huge. You can do whatever that like, comes to your mind. It's endless possibilities. And we're always learning new techniques and new things to put into our work. It's a vast medium. Absolutely. I, I think that's, I think what draws me to ceramics the most is the endless possibilities. It can be anything and it's such a workable medium. Um, mm -hmm. I think the way that, the way that I work is often like pretty like fast paced and I like, I see something and I'm like, Oh, like, I'd love to just like, you know, squish that in there and make it like this and bend it like this. And and for ceramics, there's an immediacy to it that is, it thrives in excitement. Um, yeah. Versus I would say something like, you know, carpentry is, is all about like precision and exactness and, you know, making this cut just right and making a thousand cuts to make a, you know, one angle or, you know, it's, it's so many things that my mind struggles with so hard. I'm like, I'm like, I can't just, I can't just squish it in and make it stand up. <laughs> nope. So, yeah. I think, I think ceramics has definitely um, just opened up such a, a creative gateway inside of me as a maker. Um, and like, I, so I, I kind of knew that I, I wanted to do ceramics at a very early age. I think I was about 16 and I took my first high school ceramics class and I was like, this is it. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Like, That's awesome. Um, yeah. And so like a decade later, still totally on fire for clay, loving it every day. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think. I, yeah, it's just something that really just draws me to it in a way that no other material sort of has or no other material has been able to keep my interest in, in such a way, you know? Yeah, me too. Like, it feels so much different than 2D work. And like you said, it's so, like, you can squish it and you can do whatever you want to it. And it's, it's forgiving in that way it has so many opportunities to it and it's it's like freeing at the same time because you literally can do whatever you want with it absolutely and i love yeah. that there's this metaphor or i don't even i think it's basically like clay has like a memory because mm -hmm. of the way that the molecules are structured inside of it like you bend it one way and they remember being bent that way and 
it's so interesting yeah. working with a material that not only like records your marks, but captures the energy that you put into it every time you touch it, every time you bend it. And it is so responsive in that way that, you know, if you are willing to sort of dance with it and work with its timing and, you know, all of its possibility and limitations, I think, then you sort of unlock a like a Zen making space where you're, you know, responding to the clay and the clay is responding to you and you're in that feedback loop that is sort yeah, of like, close. Yeah. I like that. Like the clay is responding to you and you're responding to the clay. That's a great metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because water has memory and that's why your pieces will warp in the kiln because it was that shape one time and then you changed it, but it wanted to go back to the, the original shape. So, yeah, yeah we just got to roll the punches of the clay. <laughs> Yeah, so I so, I never sweat it if I make a mug and it, it comes out a little oval at the top or anything like that because to me, that's like, that's exciting. That's like a history, you know, that's a part yeah, of the making process that is recorded. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm not over here with a, with a machine turning these out. These are, these are labors of love and, and that love is recorded and <laughs> like, you know it's yeah for me it's not about perfection and making something like totally smooth or totally this I mean and if that is the goal that you have for a piece that's awesome I think every piece is different every person makes differently Uh, that's one of the things that's so exciting about clay um, is not only that has those possibilities but people and the way that they think and the way that their hands interact engaged with those possibilities in so many different ways and ways that you couldn't even imagine so mm-hmm. it's just beautiful yeah. I agree next question is what do we need to make our studio worthwhile for us what do you think you need to make your work ethic worthwhile oh that's such a tough question because because worthwhile has so many different meanings. I think, especially, you know, in a society that heavily encourages, if not prompts us to monetize our passions and things like that, it's the question of, is a studio practice worthwhile? I think often gets caught up in, like, how am I using this space as sort of an investment or, you know, and, and I get caught up in it as well because, you know, I, I do, like, pay rent at this studio. Um, even though, like, we are resident artists, like, we do, like, have fees every month. Um, that's much less than if I was, like, renting a space um, solely, like, on my own um, as an artist. But it's still, like, a part of that and, like, materials and all those things. Like, you have costs associated with your studio. So there's this way that's sort of like, oh, is, you know, your practice going to feed itself and and that kind of thing. Um, And then there's the question of if your studio practice is worthwhile to you as a maker and if it is like feeding that part of your soul that is drawn to make in the first place. Um, I would say for me, it's all about just finding that balance of 
making work that that I'm super inspired by creatively and trying to do the business side of things, which I'm honestly terrible at. It's very like, <laughs> it's very, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of hurdles with that. And I think too, your studio asks you to wear so many hats of like, not only are you the maker, but you're the photographer and you're yeah. the marketer and you pack and ship everything and you got to make sure that your website is running. So you probably designed your website and you know, there's so many things that, that it asks you to do in order to make it functional. Um, and so I think in that way, um, it's, it's really up to each individual person of like finding, finding the balance for themselves of, you know, doing what is going to feed their soul at the end of the day. And, because you yeah. burnout is such a real thing in our community, and oh, I think especially when you do have to wear so many hats, um, can be exhausting and frustrating. And so finding ways to to make it work for you, and to maybe designate time for those things that's outside of like, oh, this is time that I want to spend being creative. This is time that I want to spend developing new ideas and playing and and loving what I do you know yeah of course love what you do if you're not gonna love it then why are you doing it right yeah Um, I am going to have an episode about burnout so that's a future endeavor that we will be talking about eventually and yeah Mm -hmm. you're right there's so much that goes into our studio space and our work ethic that can hinder everything about like running a small business or even having it as a hobby like there's always those little things like okay I made like 20 mugs but I'm it's a hobby do I keep all these mugs for myself or do I end up taking the time to try to sell them like you have to know what is going to work for you and what doesn't work for you and what is your end-all goal out of what you're doing absolutely um, yeah, and I, um, that's another way I feel like the ceramics differs from like drawing and painting. Um, you know, it's a, a question of production and space and, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. It takes a lot of space to be a ceramic <laughs> artist. I mean, not only for the work you're creating, but all your equipment and storage bins and everything that you accumulate over time. It's a lot. Like, I'm running out of space. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, so speaking of our studio storage and stuff, I want to bring up if it is more than a hobby, I suggest to the people who are just starting out to figure out really what you want out of it and then build from there. Like, get your wheel probably if you're a wheel thrower, I mean, you could be a hand builder and just need a table and then a couple buckets. Mm-hmm. Like it's as simple as that really. And then you can look for um, people who share their kiln space. Like there's a website that's called kilnshare.com, I believe. And you can rent out someone else's kiln in your area. So I think that is a good option 
opportunity for people who don't have kilns or a space to store their own kilns. Yeah, definitely. And I think so many spaces too, so many towns have um, small community studios and that kind of thing. Even if it's like your local, like paint your own pottery shop, um, I always think it's worth reaching out and and having a conversation because at the end of the day, all those places are are run by your community members. And I think more often than not, people are willing to, to work with you and help foster your creative endeavors. And um, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, the conversation is always worth it, I've found. <laughs> yes, it is. It's so worth it to reach out to those people that you know have these amenities that you also want or need to share. And odds are they'll probably say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was my next question. Um, Renting space or renting community studio time, how do do you think the community shared studio affects your work ethic? I know that you said that it makes it feel more like inspiring because you have so many other people around you but is there any negative things that come with it um I would say that for for my experience um very very few negative interactions with you know the people in my studio space uh and I so I I share a space um that I'm in now with Uh, this other ceramic artist, Hannah Pierce. Um, And she is like always crushing it. I mean, she's doing shows. She's making these huge sculptural pieces that are so lovely and so detailed. Um, So like having somebody like that in my space with me is amazing. It's always like pushing me to like do more and, you know, build better. And just seeing her like, seek out opportunities it's like okay like you know oh what opportunities am I going to look for like this week like should I apply to a show and um we uh there's a space right next to ours um shared by another woman Sarah Parent and you know she's always like doing sales in the community and applying to shows and so I think the three of us just really like share our energy well with one another and it's all in a spirit of encouragement and you know it's one of those things where sometimes if you're in the studio you don't really want to work it's so easy to just like zone out or like get lost in your phone or like you know just start reading a book and then if you have like somebody who's next to you who's like making this giant sculpture and like working super hard you're like oh maybe I should maybe I should work on my yeah. pieces and <laughs> that yeah kind of I feel that just, like yeah, so it's it's like a little bit of a spirit of accountability too, which is nice. Um, and yeah, by at the end of the day, it really just depends on um, how everybody's energy is aligning. Because I know that there are like situations where like, if you don't vibe with the person you're sharing a space with, it can be like you know even toxic at times. Um, which is like never going to be good to feed your creative practice. Uh, you want to like be in a space where you feel very free to, to be yourself and express, mm-hmm. you know, the things that you want to make and, and not 
feel like you're walking on eggshells or any kind of anything like that. Um, so I feel, I feel very lucky to share a studio with these two women that, like I said, are just always working super hard and everybody's building each other up. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all, we all sort of, we don't, we're all smaller batch makers, uh, as well. So we very, very rarely are in competition for like kiln space and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that definitely helps as well when, when you're not like competing for like resources and things with people, it, it definitely makes everything just go so much more smoothly. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we've never had an issue where it's like, oh, like I need to use a kiln this week. And they're like, okay, let's, you know, work it out. Like you want to use this day, I'll use this day. It's, you know, and it's all just about communication at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Do you guys so you ever share? That, yeah, it is. Do you guys ever share a kiln at the same time? Uh, yeah, we, we will bisque things together pretty frequently. Like, um, you know, if I have just like a couple of small things that like need to go in, I'll reach out to Sarah. If I know she's doing a bisque, like, oh, do you have room for this? And if she's, you know, it's, yeah, definitely open to sharing. Um, but we all fire at different temperatures uh, for finishing work. Um, so Sarah's like a crystal and potter. So her like kiln programs are like super specific, you know, and, um, Hannah's doing a lot of large sculptures. So she's like firing to lower temperature and I'm like doing the functional work, but you know, I don't like want anything to crack or break. So I fire really slow and, you know, so Mm -hmm. everybody has their particulars that we tend to stick with as far as finishing with a lot of people in college because you had to because mm-hmm. um but I would work in the studio with the people who were in the BFA program and our um, our teachers our professors were all working in there together and then you had the continuing ed um, students who were usually much older than us and in my experience, the continuing ed people were very rude to the younger students. I'm not sure why. Maybe it was jealousy. I have no clue. But they would unload the kilns and be like, who made that? Blah, blah, blah. And like, just talk crap about our work. And I was like, what the hell? Like, we're all learning. Can we just step, step back a little bit and admire our work instead of bashing it? <laughs> Yeah, totally. So, um, definitely don't want any of that nastiness. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it it felt like a lot, especially when you're in the learning environment. Like, I get critiquing each other's work and stuff can help you grow, but it just it just felt like those people were always nagging about certain things, like studio time and space in the kiln and is this glaze running out? Oh, it was it was a lot of cattiness. And I just, I was very turned off by the community studio environment. But it mm-hmm. sounds like yours is top notch gold star. Like that is what you want when you, when you share a community studio. Totally. I mean, I mean, like I said, it just really depends on like the energy of the people in the space and how, how everybody gets along. Um, 
I mean, it's just like, it's just like roommates, you know, if you have a really great yeah. roommate, it's a great situation. If you got a terrible roommate, you're like, I don't want to live here, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yep. It yeah. really is like a roommate because if they're leaving a mess, then it's also your mess because it's the same space. Totally. And I think too, in our space, we definitely like have our have our individual spaces that we can, you know, nest in and mess in and, you know, do all that without interfering with somebody else's space. Um, so I'm sure that also helps with the dynamic, you know. Uh, yeah. But, so you have yeah. like a tiny, you have like a tiny cubby area of your own and then the bigger area is shared? Um. So we're the three of us are like in a, it's a building that's like, it's divided into two. So Sarah has the space that's in the back and then Hannah and I have the space that's in the front and it's just um, basically divided in half. So she has the right side of the space and I have the left side of the space. And then there's some like shared areas as well. The sink is like shared Um, Mm -hmm. and we have like, the two of us have one wheel in our studio, but neither of us really use the wheel often. I only use the wheel to make uh, molds for my pieces because I slab build on my work. Um, oh, okay. And I think she uses the wheel primarily for teaching and teaching aids. And then Sarah makes all of her work on the wheel, but she's in the space behind us. So her wheel is back there. Um, so like there's certain things like, the wheel that we have in our studio is like the studio's wheel, but we don't necessarily have like a lot of um, members of like the community coming in and like wheel throwing and that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, you know, our space, it's a shared space, but it's our space. So have you ever had an at-home studio? Um, I haven't. No, like I said, whenever I don't have access to a studio, I just tend to focus primarily on um, two-dimensional art and just use it as a time to, to break away from ceramics and see where, where I'm at with my practice as a creative. I think, I think the biggest thing for me is like just, just always feeding myself as an artist and, and making work that aligns with like the space that I'm in and my biggest hope is always that I could be in a space where I'm making ceramic work but I always just try to go with the flow and and find myself in a state of acceptance um, wherever I'm I'm at at the time yeah yeah I don't know if I could work like that I don't I mean kudos to you I feel like if I'm not playing with the mud I'm kind of depressed (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's just me. I mean, no, I know a I lot of. I know what you mean. Yeah, I know a lot of people who, like, if they're traveling or something, and they don't have access to firing their work, they'll still bring a couple pounds of clay with them on their car rides and make little pinch pots and stuff on the car rides. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they've still got their hands dirty. They just have to wait to fire it, or maybe they're just recycling what they make and then when they get back home they just throw it in a bucket and do it from scratch again who knows yeah totally um i i wish i had that level of you know dedication of bringing bringing my bag of clay 
Um, but yeah, I just, I, I sort of revel in my downtime as well. <laughs> yeah, you should. I mean, that's great to have that balance because I struggle with that balance. Like if I'm not in the studio, I feel like I'm constantly thinking about going to the studio or constantly thinking about what can I make tomorrow or what's on the schedule. I really need to teach myself how to just stop and press pause on the work side and fall into my hobbies more just to be more mentally sound, I guess. Like, I don't want to stress myself out as much as I have been. Yeah, totally. Um, and I would say, I would say, yeah, that my hobbies do play a large part in maybe enjoying that downtime. Um, I do a lot of like writing and poetry, um, drawing, and I'm a rock climber as well. So I, you know, will spend a decent amount of time usually every week doing that. And so in my like downtime, you know, I'll be like going on adventures, going outside, going hiking, climbing, um, you know, just spending time with friends and diving into like my relationships and, um, yeah, just just trying to to find ways to infuse my creative practice because I I find that I don't thrive when I'm trying to like make in a vacuum. Like if I'm sealing myself off and the only creative inspiration that I'm drawing from is my creative practice, it just feels so like insular to me. Um, mm-hmm. So you know just going outside. And I would say a lot of the work I'm doing recently is inspired by, you know, seeing all of the biodiversity in plants and animals and doing a lot of bird watching um, and sort of finding peace and meditative thought in nature and then trying to reflect that back onto the work I'm making. So each piece is essentially a small meditation and, you know, doing these meticulous line works and dots, it's all a practice of um, calm through labor and, you know, trying to to capture the energy of maybe something I felt or saw while I was outside. Oh, yeah, that's that's what it's all about, really. Yeah. Um, so are you a full-time artist or are you full-time working at the studio or do you have another job? Uh, so I do work, uh, a full-time job right now. Um, but it's also in ceramics. I, um, am the manager of a brick and tile factory. So we do artisan tile and glazed brick as well. Um, and I've been doing that job for coming up on two years. So that's sort of my 40 hours a week doing stuff in the ceramic studio over there and then coming to my studio after work and, you know, feeding my creative practice. So I would say that balance has been probably the biggest studio challenge I've faced um, just because, it, you know, finding – finding the energy sometimes after working a job, especially a job that's very physically taxing, um, can be hard some days for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. So it sounds great that you have that balance of having so many hobbies 
and it's awesome that you have a ceramics full-time job at the same time of, of having your work on the side too like it sounds like you got it all together girl no i definitely don't have it all together I'm, I'm so busy. I never sleep. Uh, that's that's the one thing. Oh like, no! I never sleep. <laughs> oh um, well, I, yeah, maybe I'm you always could... working, doing something. I, yeah, I always joke that. Could... Um, I know you're fine. I was, I always joke that why well, have a candle if you're not gonna burn it at both ends? You know. Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So. Well, maybe you could take a hike or something and then bring a blanket with you and take a small nap at the same time. <laughs> Get two birds <laughs> with one stone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what we get out at the – when we go rock climbing, we head out to the crag with our crash pads and everything. We, we set one up at the boulder, and then the other one is for napping. So <laughs> Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So it's- if you – in your studio, what do you think the most important thing in your studio is as big equipment for you? Um, I think the only piece of, like, big equipment I can't live without is, like, the kiln, obviously, for, like, finishing work. Um, everything else I am surprisingly low-tech with. Um I have a series of slump molds that I make myself off of the wheel. So I use those um, when I'm making my slab work to get like the bottoms of things consistent. I have ones for like plates and bowls and that kind of thing. Um, But I actually like throw out like like throw my slabs flat and and then just roll them out a little bit with a rolling pin. Um, And I think if I was in a larger scale, like production of the work that I'm making, I think something like a slab roller would be really nice to have. Um, but with the scale that I'm making my work now, it's not something that I've found is super necessary. And I'm also just a little bit of a Luddite. Like I'm very low tech as an individual. <laughs> and so um, – <laughs> I'm sort of in the in the do-it-yourself mindset of like, oh, I don't need a machine for this. I can do it. And at the end of the day, it's like there's a part of that that maybe is not the most sustainable for having a studio practice because we have to think of like our bodies as, you know, limited resources in a way because you have to, you know, treat your hands right and treat your arms right and do all these things in order to keep making as a ceramic artist. So you know, you're sort of balancing like, okay, yeah, like, this is a lot harder for me to do as a human being, like, there's, there's nothing stopping me from being able to do it. It's just a lot harder. And yeah, if I had this piece of machinery, like, it would, it would do the hard work for me. And, you know, I would be way less tired at the end of the day after having rolled out like 50 slabs or something like that. Versus if I had a machine that would do it for me, I just crank it and they just come out. It's like, you know, you're, you're choosing that. But, um, I, yeah, yeah I guess I'm, I'm just low tech. It's all about, <laughs> yeah, that's fine being low tech. I think it's all about um, what you really want out of what you're doing. And 
your budget definitely plays into it because I know slab rollers are not cheap. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I had a, you know, spare, you know, $500 in the bank, I'd, I'd definitely get one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're going to be using it for 50 slabs, I would. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely I, finding that balance is is a challenge as well. <laughs> yes, because we are our most, well, valuable, but also invaluable piece of equipment. Like our bodies, we are the one thing that's going to do the work. I mean, if we're not doing it, who else is going to do it? <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so having the equipment... And also using what you have is very important because you, like we said, you don't need to spend a ton of money on this equipment if you don't necessarily need it. Like I, I have a wedge table that I made myself. I Mm -hmm. have buckets that I went out and I asked the local restaurant if I could have their pickle bucket and they said yes. So I got three buckets. (laughs) Like all of my containers for my recycling clay, my water bucket, they're all secondhand. Like they're either ice cream tubs, sour cream tubs, or pickle buckets. (laughs) And they smell like vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I know exactly what you mean. I mean, all of my glazes are in old yogurt containers and things like that. and even even the shelves I had in my studio, um, I used to work for a catering company before the pandemic, and then they ended up um, moving locations after everything kind of went down. And so they were getting rid of all of these shelves and things like that. So I just went over and I picked some up. So I got two big shelves, like twenty bucks, and I you know spray painted them so they're colorful and fun. Put them up in the studio Hi. and. Um, I made all my tables, uh, and like canvassed them myself. So they're like, you know, tip top and everything. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, definitely just like learning how to be thrifty in the studio is so, so important. And, you know, learning the skills of how to create the things that you need in the studio as well. Like you said, you made a wedging table and like I made my tables and, at the end of the day, if you know how to do those things, like you're, you're better off than like, if you're like, Oh no, like I have to buy a plaster slab for this much money and it's going to cost this much to ship. And it's like, no, you could just make a plaster slab. You know? Yeah. You don't need to spend the money, spend the money exactly. on the supplies to make it, but not the finished product. I mean, you'll probably be spending like twice as much if you had to buy it fully made and um, making it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, definitely important to, to work within your budget and, you know, make those decisions of like, oh, do I want to, you know, buy this piece of equipment or do I want to buy materials to keep like making? And, um, and like, there's certain things, you know, that you have that you only have to buy once and you just take good care of them. I think taking really good care of your tools is so important. Um, like I've had my heat gun since my, you know, freshman year of college and 
I always make sure I like wrap up the cord well and I make sure it's cooled down before I put it away. And, you know, it's just like the little things, you know, that Mm -hmm. if you, if you take care of your stuff, it's just going to last a long time. It really will. Like my MacBook computer that I got in college, it has, it lasted me eight years and I never had to get a brand new um, electrical cord for it, like a, a charging cord. And throughout mm-hmm. college, half of my friends had to get new charging cords because they broke them and they frayed and the plastic fell off. It's like, what are you doing to your things <laughs> that they're breaking <laughs> so easily? Like, take care of your stuff. It'll last you so much longer. Yeah, definitely. I And I, I think, too, it's just, um, you know, my my parents were always, like, super – you know, that was always that attitude of like, you know, you're, you're only getting this much stuff. Like you got to take care of it and make sure that, you know, you're. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when, when my dad got me my first wheel, it was like the cheapest wheel that you, you can get online. Mm -hmm. And the first time I used it, I was like, Oh, I don't think I'm going to clean up the splash pan because I see so many other artists not clean after they, they wheel throw and this is my wheel it's not a community wheel so I can do whatever I want with it like the next day my dad's like you better clean it because it's yours and you don't want it to break and you better take care of it (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't like the fact like I bought that for you so you better take care of it it was more of this is yours this is your heavy equipment like if this is what you want to do with your life then you have to take care of what you got yeah absolutely yeah that stuck with me because now I clean my wheel every time I use it yeah and I think yeah there's definitely like the argument of oh like I don't have to do it all the time like you said it is mine nobody else is using it that kind of thing but it's the same sort of argument that we're making for like why we take care of our hands and our body it's like you know we want we want those things to to take care of us too so it's a it's a give and take you know we can't just take all the time we have to show our appreciation in all the ways that we can yeah and get your money's worth out of it (laughs) yeah totally yeah it's as simple as that so i wrote down a list of things that are a must-have for an at-home studio, but this is Mm -hmm. what my opinion is, because I am an at-home studio, and my full-time job, and I need these things to actually pull off what I want out of my business. So, I have a kiln, I have a table, which is the same artist table that you can get at, like, a craft store. I've had this sucker since high school. And the top is peeling off, but it's still working. <laughs> yeah. And I have uh, heavy-duty shelves that I bought at a store that was going out of business. They're the metal shelves with the cardstock, uh, like, masonite. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what they're actually called. But we use those same shelves at my college. So I was like, oh, these are the ones I really want because work really well and I do think they work really well because 
you can put wet work on the shelf with no problem and it won't warp it won't do anything or peel or anything and i think those, those shelves are really nice and then i have a couple wet boxes i do not have the plaster in the bottom of them i just put my work right in them and hope for the mm -hmm. best and then i have a spray bottle that i spray if they start getting dry I have a portfolio for my 2D work, which I think is important to anyone out there who isn't a ceramicist, that having a portfolio to store all your work in is very important because you don't want it to be everywhere and stacking up on places that could potentially get wet. Yeah. Um, so I also have multiple buckets on my list. For recycling water, recycling clay, and whatever you want for them. For glaze, too, like cleaning off my brushes. Um, downstairs in my glazing room, I have bright lights because it's in the basement. And you want to see your true colors of what you're really working with. Um, I have my wedge table that I built myself out of pairs of plaster and wood and chicken wire. I got my kiln maintenance tools. I want to bring up the point of if you're going to build your own furniture, I think it's very important to build it to your height and what you want it to feel like while you're using it. Because if you're short, you don't want to have a table that's too tall. And if you're too tall, you don't want to have it too short because then that's going to ruin your back. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, even like when I moved into my studio now, there was there was one table that was in here. So I built I built the other two tables, um, but I ended up like cutting I think four or five inches off of the legs of the big table that was in here because um, it was way too tall for me. I was like, "There's no way I could work on this thing," you know. Um, so yeah, it's super important to to make sure your body is like at a, at a natural comfortable position for that, because you are going to be spending a lot of time in there working. Um, I think it's so worth it to have a, like a comfortable chair that works well with like your back and your hips and your neck. Um, and I think certain things that like help you maybe move things more efficiently, like, even even the size of your wear boards, like if you're a smaller person, like you don't want to have super large wear boards that you're going to put a whole lot of work on. You probably want to have smaller wear boards that you can put, you know, 10 pieces on and carry them out to your kiln. So that way you're not like overloading yourself on accident just because yeah. you're loading, you're loading to the size of the board, not to like the amount of things that is comfortable for your body to carry. So yeah, that's a great sort of, point. Yeah, just making those decisions when you're setting your studio up, like spending the time to be like, what's what's comfortable for me to carry, you know, like, and then making boards to that size. Um, and, you know, making sure that like, if you have shelves that are really high up, like, that you have a step stool or something like that. Like for, I say these things cause I'm like a small short, like I'm petite. So it's like some things in the studio are like a yeah, little bit of same. a challenge. Um, yeah. So 
you wouldn't want like the tallest shelves and not have a step stool because then you're going to like maybe drop your work if you try to put it up there and take it down on your own or yeah or like, strain your back trying to reach to the top yeah totally and I would say as well um, having a cabinet to store materials that are like toxic and flammable is really really important um I would say that there's not a whole lot of materials that we work with that are very flammable, but it's so, so worth it to have that cabinet. Cause I mean, and I'm, I'm saying this too, cause I you live in Southern California and like fires are such a big issue out here as well. But you know, if, if that's the difference between having a studio fire and not having a studio fire, like, Oh, it's, it's, like there's no question about it um and yeah. also if you had like you know if you have kids that you're working around that are in and around your studio you want to make sure that like materials that are dangerous to them are put away and that kind of thing um here we have to worry about like earthquakes and stuff so i make sure that nothing is like too precarious all my shelves are like really sturdy um and that kind of thing, because you never want to like lose work because of an accident. Um, so yeah, just, just working with like the space that you have, the size of your body and like where you live. Um, like if you're in a place like the, the Northwest United States where things are like really humid all the time, you know, you would definitely want like an area that you could put a fan in your studio to, to cycle the air in that space. Yes. And um, a dehumidifier if it's like really bad. Yeah, totally. And like if you need fans in the summertime or if you need heat in the winter, like those are things that are really important. Um, even though Southern California is like very warm, um, it does get pretty chilly like at night in the wintertime. And this is like a big metal building. So like it gets really cold in here. And for the longest time, like we just had like a wood stove. And so it like, like it just wasn't enough heat for me. And so like, I ended up like getting a space heater because I was like, oh, if I'm going to be working long hours in the wintertime, then I need to make sure that my hands are warm. I like I'm comfortable. I'm not going to be like suffering yeah. just to like be in the space. Um, Cause I think it's just so like, it's so hard on not just your body, but your mind too. Like you don't want to associate like those negative feelings with your creative practice. You want to oh, make yeah, sure definitely. that like your, your body is going to be able to like regulate the basic things like temperature and, you know, <laughs> yeah, the things that are out of your control. <laughs> yeah. And cause as far as like studio equipment and studio setup, I really think that everybody's going to be different. I mean, there's artists that are using like 3D printers for clay. There's artists who are hand building, wheel throwing, um, making huge sculpture. And like, so you really just have to have to plan for the things that you're excited about making. Um, and if you encounter an area where you're like, oh, I really need a piece of equipment because this is really hard. This seems impossible, that kind of thing. Then it's so nice to talk with other friends who are artists, other ceramic artists and troubleshoot with them. Like, Oh, I'm trying to, you know, flip this large platter over, but I don't, you know, know how to do it. And you end up like talking with somebody who 
um, will either like maybe know what a good way to do it or help give you ideas or just troubleshoot with you. I think that's so, so important. So that's maybe an aspect of community studio that's nice as well. But I think through, you know, Instagram and if, you know, you have a community of clay through academia or through, um, you know, friends, community studios, all those things, like those are resources for you as well. So reaching out to those people and talking to them about um, what their practice is like is absolutely invaluable. So, so important. Yes. Reach out to your friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because they might know something that you don't know or vice versa. And it's all like so much information that you guys can help each other with and make your studio life better. Absolutely. I mean, better, easier, safer. Safety is always like a big concern in a ceramic studio. You know, and like personal, personal health and safety and environmental safety, you know. Like what kind of reclaim water, water recycling situations do you have going on? Making sure that you're not, you know, disposing of like glaze or clay or other things in ways that are irresponsible towards the environment. Um, You Mm -hmm. know, all those, all those things, um, you know, are definitely not to be neglected. Definitely have to take extra concern, making sure that you're being responsible in that way as a maker. Yeah, I think it's very important to know your surroundings and know what you're putting into the area and yourself. Like, you don't want to make yourself sick with your passion. Like, that that's not good. <laughs> so totally. my next question is, what important information do we need to know about studio safety? Um, I think you always start with the basics of, you know, not breathing in clay dust, making sure that your studio is like swept and mopped regularly. So things aren't like building up, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, cleaning off your tables, making sure that, you know, if you're on, if you like slam your clay down on your table and a you know, cloud of dust comes up, maybe it's like clean it up before you start breathing it in, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, and I would say like, I'm definitely not like the cleanest, like maker in the world. Like I, you know, but at the same time, it's like, you have to find that balance between, you know, making sure that your studio is a safe space for you to be in. Um, and things like having a good respirator are really important. Something that filters out particles in the air. Um, especially if you're, you know, mixing your own glazes or making your own clay or doing anything that is creating a lot of dust, you definitely need to be using one of those. Um, And if you're doing a lot of things uh, with like mason stains or china paint, underglaze, that kind of thing, you need to be reading the ingredients or looking at the ingredients of what's in those things. Um, A lot of those a lot of like reds and oranges and things have something like cadmium in it, which is, you know, not something that you want to get on your skin. So investing in a pair of like latex gloves is super important. Um, If you're working with a material like luster, you know, you need to be in a really well ventilated space. And I think 
doing your research before you jump into a new material or a new aspect of a material is, is important. Um, like I had an experience in college where I was using China paint, um, and I like, didn't have any gloves on. I was like being reckless, didn't like, wasn't caring if I got it on my skin, anything like that. And I had a colleague come up to me and be like, Oh, you know, that stuff is like super toxic. Right. And I was like, Oh man, like I didn't. And now I'm like, okay, Oh shoot. Let me take a second and realize that like, just because I'm excited about something, just because I have this, like, you know, sort of slap it on out, you know, just, just understanding what's in the material that you're using and trying to be, you know, health, health conscious about those things first and foremost. Um, and I would say that with my job as well, like managing the factory, that's a lot of the things that I'm doing constantly is checking in with my guys and saying like, Oh, like you got to wear your mask when you sweep the floor and you should wear your mask when you dump out the trash because you just put all the dust that was on the floor into the trash can. And when you dump out the trash can, that dust is going to get, you know, kicked up into the air. So just, I mean, it's little things like that where you're just sort of like following up with yourself, with your body um, and making sure that you're checking your boxes and that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Definitely be smart about what you're doing, what you're using. Do your research, get your masks, get your gloves, air purifier if you really want one. Even spraying water in the air before and after you vacuum or sweep can help collect those little particles that are that you picked up that are in the air and bring them back down with spraying it. Like I've been doing that lately and it seems like it's been helping my studio area. I, I mean... It doesn't seem as dusty when I spray the floor a little bit because I'm yeah. bringing that dust back down to earth and not into my lungs. Totally. And even a good practice is like sweeping at the end of the day before you leave. So you sweep and if there's like dust left over in the air, you're not still in that space. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And they have, I mean, they have even like sweeping compound and things like that that are made for ceramic studios, um, that you can sprinkle like some on the ground and sweep with that. And it kicks up a lot less dust. Um, and you know, even just things like investing in a good broom, um, making sure that you have one that you don't have to sweep an area like four or five times because the more times you sweep it the more dust you're kicking into the air um Mm -hmm. I always I always tell the guys at work like long slow sweeps with the broom and like just like push the dust like almost quietly just into a pile because if you're over there like sweeping 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 it's like it's just all going (laughs) up into the air yeah it's not doing anything except (laughs) coming back up into the the air (laughs) you're not really sweeping totally and and mopping is so so important as well or if you like some people have a drain in their ceramic studio which is I think so amazing like you just hose it down and squeegee the floor and it's like Mm -hmm. night and day you know Um, perfect yeah so I think and and also if you're setting up your studio at home you want to make sure it's an area that you can clean thoroughly you know you wouldn't want it to be on like carpet or something like that um or if you 
if you are working in an area with carpet, doing something like putting down a plastic sheeting and hosing yes. that off once a week, like even that could make the biggest difference because you just don't want the dust to like build up and get trapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my studio, I have my studio upstairs in our apartment and because we rent, we can't take the rug out without mm-hmm. like paying my dad who owns the building. But And I wouldn't want to do that anyways because I don't want to ruin what's underneath the rug. So I got a tarp that one side is plastic and the other side is canvas. So I oh, have nice. the plastic side down on the rug and the canvas side up. So I can easily just vacuum it and mm-hmm. I can spray it and it won't get super wet because the bottom's plastic. And so it's not getting the rug wet that's underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, even, now, yeah just something like that, finding a, a fix for the space that you're in and working with it. So that's what I have. And I vacuum probably twice a month, but I am a slow batch artist. Like I don't feel like I create a lot of dust and I'm very clean. I always clean my tabletops. I clean my wheel. I try mm-hmm. my best to keep the dust down because this is my living space too. Like it's upstairs. Like the room on the other side of the hall is my bedroom. So I have yeah. to be very smart about how much dirt I'm creating because I don't want to die. And I don't want to kill my fiance either. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. And even sometimes when I think it's really dirty, I do put my mask on and then I vacuum while I wear my mask. And then I spray like a crap ton to try to get the Mm -hmm. dust down again. And then I leave and I hope that it's not dusty anymore. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It is hard to deal with the dust especially being in the in your living situation i think if you if i had to choose i would much rather have my studio outside of my house because of the dust and also because of the mental awareness of i can't leave my my job like per se because it is my full-time job and I can't, I think that's why I'm struggling with stopping thinking about working because it's in my house. Like I can't get away from it. So I'd rather it be outside of my house or being able to just shut the door on the studio and not go inside of it (laughs) because my studio is open floor plan. Like, you know how many houses have like a little area on the top of the staircase. It's kind of looks like a reading nook area. Yeah, like a little nook. Yeah, that's where my studio is. Okay, nice. So it is open, so you can't really not look at it when you walk up the stairs because it's right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd rather it be outside, um, like in a shed or... Even if I can't afford a a studio shed someday, even if I have like a spare bedroom that I can shut the door, I think would be beneficial to my mental health and the cleanliness. So I'm not, so it doesn't feel like it's the dirt is getting everywhere in my apartment. Yeah. 
No, yeah. that definitely, definitely makes sense. Um, and it is, it is a big challenge to like work around. Um, so I think just every, every space where you can, you know, like you said, clean, making sure your wheel is clean. Um, it's, it's a problem that you have to address from literally every angle. Like, so even if you were like doing a lot of like sanding and stuff like that might be something that you wanted to do outside, even though your studio is not outside, like, you know, just taking those pieces outside to do that aspect of things or, oh, yes, you know, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I would, I never sand inside. I never do anything that involves sanding inside unless it's wet sanding on my wheel because I just got one of the diamond core sanding pads. So totally. I wet sand. So that's not really kicking sand up. And then I clean my wheel after I wet sand. So there's literally no dry sand in that yeah. situation. But yeah, I if you have to do something that involves sanding or something that's like extremely dirty, then do it outside if you can. Yeah, totally. Um, and then making sure to, uh, I think the last thing as far as safety is like, like your clothes and things. Like if you, you know, had a day where you're sanding a lot, um, you would probably like want to change your shirt or something when you got home. So that way you're yeah. not like, you know, continually, or when you like left your studio space, um, you would want to like change your shirt. So that way it wouldn't be like continually like putting dust into the, the air around you as your day went on. Um, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you thinking about like the most basic things and I would say more often than not studio safety just comes with like trying to be super aware of your environment. And if you notice something that is like, seems out of place or seems dangerous, just like trust your gut, you know, and try to think of solutions that work within your space and for you, um, to make sure that you're providing yourself with as many opportunities to keep being a ceramic artist, you know, cause you don't, you know, you don't want to be breathing in a lot of dust and then have to, you know, stop working with clay and that kind of thing. So it's all, it's mm -hmm. all preventative and, and just being super careful, taking care of yourself, staying hydrated in the studio. Like, like I said, just focusing on the basics. Yes, definitely stay hydrated because even moisturizing your skin too after you stop working is very important because we use our hands and the dirt will dry out your hands and even having like a, a lotion bottle in your studio on hand just in case like after you're done working and you've washed your hands squeeze some moisturizer and put it all the way up to your elbows because that could help you tremendously with your dry skin I mean it has been helping me <laughs> yeah totally yeah those all those little tiny things they they might seem minute but they have such big impact on our physical health and even our mental health I mean you want to be confident in what you're doing safely for yourself in in your studio so when you feel confident in that you'll probably create better work in my opinion like you'll be more prone to go going to your studio because you are confident that you have been 
keeping it clean and you're safe and you're making it safe for everybody else who is around you. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I also want to bring up who um, whoever's listening, if they are oil painters, I was told this horror story in college, um, not to be a downer, but I just have to say it. <laughs> um, if you are oil painting or lustering or anything that smells bad and that is toxic to breathe in, do not do it in your basement next to your furnace because that air, especially if your heat is on, if your heat is on, it's pushing that chemical back up into your house and spreading out and creating carbon monoxide. And you do not want to breathe that in at all because that will kill you. <laughs> so the horror story was, I was told that a woman, she had a couple kids and she would put them to bed at night and would go down to the basement and start painting. And she was an oil painter and she thought everything was hunky-dory, like, oh, great, I got the kids to bed. Now I can do my passion. I can paint. And she would get a couple hours of painting done. And eventually the exhaust from her furnace with her oil paintings drying out right next to the furnace went right up into her kids' bedrooms and messed with their brain function and now her kids are not the same oh my god so sad yeah it is very very depressing but it is so important to know what you're doing in the environment you're in and the chemicals that are in your work of art because you do not want to hurt anyone and she was fine too like the woman she didn't mm -hmm. have any um effects from the paint even though she was the painter like it was her kids that got affected because they were younger and the furnace pulling that chemical through the furnace and heating it up and creating that monoxide or whatever chemical it created it just messed with their brain and I was like, Oh my God, this is so bad. And now I'm like wondering like, okay, I luster in my basement. I have my mask on, but my furnace is in the other room. Like this is freaking me out. <laughs> so yeah, whenever you can take the opportunity to do toxic things outside, do it because it, it's just so bad to do it inside that's all I can say <laughs> no totally um yeah I always I always say safety first then teamwork <laughs> so you know you're you're looking after yourself and then also just um checking in with like people that you're sharing a space with or you know that would be like you checking in with your fiance be like making sure that nothing that you're doing in the studio is like upsetting anything in his body. And mm -hmm. he's, you know, communicating that with you of like, Hey, when you uh, were working in the studio yesterday, I felt super lightheaded in the house or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, just those things are really important. Um, and I think that just goes back to, you know, being in a studio with somebody or sharing a space with somebody that you can communicate with and that you get along with because, 
at the end of the day, you do want to be able to have those conversations with them because we're all, you know, trying to do things safely and we're all just trying to, you know, feed our creative practice, but also look out for one another. Yes. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like my fiance, Benny, he's also a woodworker and he likes to paint with certain wood paint that smells horrific. (laughs) So I'm like, can you do that outside please? And he also, um, sprays like lacquer and stuff on his wood and he leaves it outside which is very good because one time he left it in the basement and we have forced air and there's a duct that's right above his workbench that goes just directly up into our living room and our living room just smelled like this nasty paint <laughs> like, oh my god you're killing me <laughs> yeah totally yeah it's very important to have safe practices yeah absolutely so getting back into the your studio at your community space how long did it take you to get your work up and running like in that area that space um i would say so i i ended up coming up to this I ended up meeting my friend Paul at that stu- at the art fair and then coming up to the studio honestly the the second week that I moved to California um it just was like I couldn't even explain the timing of it I was just flabbergasted um because I was expecting it to take a really long time to like find a space to make in uh and then when I got up here, nobody had been in this studio for like quite some time. So there was a lot of like work that had to be done to make it a workable space. So I ended up like doing a lot of cleaning and like patching and painting all of the walls and, um, you know, just like general maintenance, getting it all ready to go for me. So that was probably like a couple weeks worth of work. Um, and then, I started making in here and at first I was just doing a lot of like experimenting and trying to figure out what kind of stuff I wanted to make. Um, and then I would say probably a year and a half ago, almost two years, I guess, no, it was, it was two years ago. Um, I started making the line that I'm making now. So that was just a lot of like, one step after the other of like figuring out what kind of things were working in my favor. And, um, yeah, so it it was, it was a little bit of like prep time. And then it's definitely just been a work in progress the whole time I've been here as well. Like when I have shelves, like that was a really cool thing. Cause at first I only had like one little shelf in here. So I was working off of that. And then mostly using like table space and then I got the shelves. And so I had a little bit more room to like expand my work. And then I found like a cool armchair off of Craigslist for like 10 bucks. And so like now that's in the studio and I got the big comfy chair I can like draw in and, and you know, it's um, yeah. And then, like you said, balancing a budget as well with things. So getting, getting studio equipment and materials as it made sense for me to do so. Um, and just trying to like all the time make it 
a better and more efficient, more homey space for me to do my work in. Yeah. I feel like our studios change with our work too. Like the more we are in our studio, the more we're going to want our studio to feel more homey, more like ourselves too, and, and more presenting of our work and a place for inspiration too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to know, do you decorate your studio at all with like other people's artwork, pictures, um, knickknacks that inspire you? Do you have plants? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got, I definitely have plants in the window and I have like a shelf where I keep like a few things that my friends have made. Um, I have a few like paintings and drawings up that I've done. Um, and just like some, some old work of mine, like sitting high up on shelves that are like, you know, those are the shelves that like, aren't really, uh, usable for me cause they're like too high. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just end up like displaying kind of old work up there and, but yeah, I, I love, I love it to be, uh, a space where I really feel at home. Um, and cause I do, I do spend a lot of time here. So like I have even like on my my chair that I use, like I have like a really like funky fun like flower cover on it, um, and then on like the door of the studio, I have this like big uh, like wooden circle that I like painted like a lime slice on. So it's like <laughs> when the door to the studio is open, like you just see this like big lime slice, and it's like it's like not not sunny but that's kind of the vibe of it it just feels like this like sort of welcoming energy of like bright pop of color coming into the space where you feel like just just energized by it um and yeah so so I do I do love decorating and then um there's actually these like really weird funky like glass sculptures that are like hung from the ceiling in here because there was a glass artist um, who was doing like a lot of cold, like uh, cold work annealing, I believe. Um, and so his pieces are like hanging up here, just stuff he like never took with him that just ended up like staying. You know, I feel like community studios have a lot of like that kind of stuff around. They do. Um, yes. <laughs> so yeah, like they're up here and, and the owner kept asking me like, oh, if these bother you, you can take them down. And I was like, no, nah, it literally don't bother me at all. Like I was not like I'm going to hang anything on the ceiling anyway. They're not in the way. Um, and they're just like super kind of funky. They add character to the space. Um, and then like, like I painted the walls like super fresh and clean as well when I moved in. And like I've got Christmas lights up on the corner and I found this like these like sheets of this metallic stuff that I like put up behind my shelves. So like it's almost like a cool like mirror like background that has like a pattern in it. So yeah. But <laughs> so I do I do love decorating. <laughs> yeah, so do I. I think it really makes it makes us feel better too about being in this space. I mean, you don't want to feel negative about your studio. You want it to be something uplifting and inspiring something that makes you really want to work and that's why you go to the studio is to work so might as well be inspired while you're there yeah and just like having fun in this space too and being in a space where you feel like you can be yourself and yeah yes. it's just all 
also important. Yeah, I have um, at college, I printed off a ton of pictures of other artists work that I admire or aspire to be like. And I printed them off at college because it was their money, not mine, who was using up all the ink. <laughs> so I, I saved them and I put them up in my studio that I have at my, my home, along with my own artwork. I have crystals everywhere because I love crystals. I love the energy that they give off. I have artwork from like literal prints that I bought from other artists. I have my friend Tyler's work up. I have my friend Sarah's work. I have three different tapestries. I have plants absolutely everywhere. Like there's almost no bare spot other than my shelves that are empty right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a great, great like inspirational oasis that I can go to and I really just have to look at something and be like ding I'm inspired (laughs) yeah yeah it's very important to surround yourself with things that make you happy especially that we're artists I feel like a lot of artists we have this mentality of being well I don't know it's just my opinion, but I feel like a lot of artists have um, trauma or something that makes them want to create. So surrounding ourselves with things that really makes us happy is very beneficial towards our mental health. Yeah, that that's, I just have to say that. <laughs> no, definitely. It's yeah. Good to, it's good to support yourself in, in any way that that you need that. And I think nesting is a way that helps people feel really comfortable in their space. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, for me to answer the question, how long did it take me to get my studio up and going? Um, I moved from apartment three to my tiny TV dinner table and one shelf and my tiny wheel, which was like four by four feet of space working in my tiny apartment to a bigger apartment with the studio space I have now, which is around six by 12 feet. And then I have my kiln in the basement with an extra glaze table and a big shelf for my glaze work, one shelf for my inventory. And I have two DVD shelves that hold all of my glazes. So It took me around, I'd say, a month to set up my home studio. Yeah, it it definitely will change over time, too. And it's all in what you make of it. Yeah. Totally. So one of my listener questions, they want to know if a pug mail is worth the money, if it's worth your, yeah, if it's worth it. I don't have a pug mail, but does your studio have a pug mail? Um, we don't. We we have a pug mail at work, um, but that's a space in which we're going through so so much clay. I mean, we buy clay um, in the ton- like at tons at a time. Um, so, 
and I, I mean like, like 2000 pounds, like a ton, not like, oh, that's a lot, you know? So, yeah. um, and for me, like I make my own clay and I typically make it in hundred pound batches. Uh, so I just end up wedging it all myself, um, which I don't have to make clay that often. So I don't consider it, um, that big of an issue. I think if I was, you know, working with the amount of clay that like my work does, um, you know, we have a pug mill there and obviously it's a very useful piece of equipment, uh, helps us out a lot. Um, but for me personally, it's not something that I would, I would think I would need. And it think it really depends on your production level. Um, and then also your budget, because it is a very expensive piece of a machinery and it's very expensive to maintain as well. Uh, it also requires quite a bit of space. Um, I mean, I think depending on like the design of the pug mill, um, I've seen some that are smaller, but for the most part, uh, the ones I've seen have been like quite large and would require a lot of space. So if that's not something that you have access to, um, then definitely not in my opinion. Yeah. It really depends on how much clay you're going through. And if you're going through a lot and you don't like wedging yourself and recycling it yourself, then maybe it's worth it. But it depends on the long run of what you're doing. If you really want to spend that amount of money on that big equipment, if you have the space, maybe it's worth it. But it might not be worth it for what you're going for. Another listener question, they want to know how to deal with your clay water if you don't have a clay trap sink. Do you guys have a clay trap sink at your community? Um, we don't have like a separate clay trap underneath the sink. Um, we actually have a setup where we've put a, a tall PVC pipe in the drain of the sink um and every like month or so we like empty the what we drain out the water and we let the clay that's like trapped in there the clay or glaze or whatever it is um we let it dry out and then we just scoop it out um into the trash and uh we always like put it into bags um and then for me for any like clay water that i have i recycle everything so, um, I would like, if I had like a bucket of like clay water from like throwing, I would let, I would like let that water, um, kind of separate, like let all the sediment settle to the bottom, pour the water off as much as I could, and then add whatever that was to like my wet reclaim. Um, and that's just because like, I, since I do make my own clay, I want to like minimize my my amount of waste as much as possible so i i truly like recycle everything every little scrap um gets thrown back into reclaim for me yeah same i do the same i have one bucket for water it's a six gallon bucket for water and that's like my cleaning water my throw water anything that I need the water for and then all the sediment that gets collected at the bottom gets poured into my recycling clay bucket 
And then once that gets up to like a gallon or two, um, I put it on my wedge table and I let it dry out and then I wedge it up and then I got new clay. Yeah, it's very yeah. easy to just keep on recycling that water. And it's not hard. It's, I mean, I, we, uh, we have a big bucket that collects rainwater during the summer. And I just use that during the summer. And then during the winter, I think I only go through maybe a full six gallon bucket of water. And that lasts me half the year. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I don't think you need a clay trap sink if if you're have if you're a small batch artist and you're not creating a lot of work. I mean, even if you do create a lot of work, it it might not be worth it. I mean, it depends on how dirty you want to get, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And and then like I said too, my studio, we we just utilize a really low cost option for what is essentially a sink trap. It's just a PVC pipe that comes up from the drain. And if you like wiggle the pipe a little bit, the water like goes down and the sediment still is like trapped up at the top. So um, if you're looking for just something that is, you know, uh, a little bit of a fix for like your low production studio or like you're in a smaller space, you're in an individual space, that kind of thing. There are options that are available to you other than like going out and buying um, an expensive like sink trap. Yeah. Yeah. Even at my college uh, community studio area, we didn't have clay trap sinks and we had these huge garbage buckets that were on wheels and they weren't used for garbage, but they were used for the water and they were full to the top and then each student had a separate bucket that they would fill from that bigger bucket of water and then a second bucket that we would dump all of our used water in and then those two large buckets would be like switched around with each other so because one would be so clean and then the other one would be so dirty and then eventually the other one would be dirtier and the other one would be cleaner. So it would just go back and forth. And then all that clay sediment would go through the pug mill that was then recycled into new cheaper clay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you don't need a clay trap sink, even if you have a ton of people working in your studio, it is doable. Yeah. And um, I, so this is like maybe like my personal little tip for recycling clay um, and especially if you're like a small batch maker, it, it's not something you want to do if you have like really big buckets of reclaim that everybody's working in. Um, but when I recycle a batch of clay, when I slake down my dry material reclaim, um, I usually add like half of a beer into it, like uh, because that kind of helps uh, organic matter grow in your clay. And especially when you're making reclaim, your clay has a tendency to go short on you, which is like, like it breaks really easily. Um, and I find that the addition of the beer actually makes it more plastic. Like you get a bigger like stretch in the clay body because of the organic material that's able to build up in there. Um, that's interesting. So yeah, it's like, my little personal thing that I always do for my reclaim and I like it's not 
a huge difference, but if you're like doing something like pulling handles or like that kind of thing, you really want as much plasticity um, infused back into your clay as you can, because uh, the reclaim process um, does produce tip does typically produce a lower quality clay than you initially started with. Yes. Yeah, I haven't had any issues with mine because I. I only recycle about a gallon worth of um, scrap clay, so I haven't had a a change in the plasticity of what I can attest to. But yeah, that is an interesting tip. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, like I said, just my like personal kind of clay recycling quirky thing. <laughs> So another listener question is they want to know how to safely put a kiln in your home, but you have a community studio, but just tell me a rundown of where your kiln is or if you have multiple kilns and how you guys are staying safe. Um, So we have multiple kilns and they're all outside under awnings. Um, so we don't have to really focus on things like ventilation because they have the outside ventilation. Um, they're protected obviously from water and the other elements, um, with the awnings. Uh, we have, we have gas kilns and electric kilns. Um, so we have one electric kiln that's outside and sort of like tucked away, like behind like a shelf and a table and it's under an awning. So it's like very well protected from um, like the outside elements. Although it is something to keep in mind if you're in a space where like weather is harsher. Um, Obviously we live in Southern California. We're very blessed to have extremely mild weather the majority of the time so having a kiln outside is not necessarily like a huge concern um but maybe in a place that is experiencing like a lot more like snow and rain moisture that kind of thing um there are things that you would need to take into account um i also know that there are like really good open source articles from other potters about setting up kilns in your house. Um, there's a lot of information available online. Uh, you do need like a special plug uh, if you're going to be running it inside. And it's the same kind of plug as you would use for like uh, your dryer unit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like I said, lots and lots of information available that home potters have graciously shared on the internet. Um, and such a good resource for you to use. Uh, there's ceramics monthly puts out a lot of good articles and, uh, digital fire is, um, a little bit less accessible, but has so, so much good information. So if you're willing to like spend the time, um, to read it, there is a lot of very in-depth, um, information on there as far as kilns and what kind of setup you need. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a ton of information out there. Um, Yeah, you can find anything on the internet these days. But from my experience of what I know, if you're going to set up a kiln in your home, decide on where in your home you want it. I mean, it's 
probably more beneficial to have it outside in your garage area or um, under like a, a side porch or in a tiny shed. I have mine in my basement and I think it's beneficial for me because I live in upstate New York and we get very heavy snowstorms and just bad thunderstorms and the weather is very um, unpredictable. So my basement is concrete floor, concrete walls, and I have it 18 inches away from the wall, any surfaces in general. You don't want it touching anything. I have it plugged in, like you said, that heavy-duty plug. I had an electrician come over and hook it up for me. It was a little costly, but in the long run, worth it because I paid it off with my own work, which was great. Um, it's good to have fans if you are running it inside. Um, 100% you need a vent. You need to vent your kiln. Um, you can get an enviro vent or you can get one of those vents that go right over the top of your kiln that sucks all the air completely around the kiln and it sucks it outside just like an environment. I think it's just a different system as an environment. There's multiple kinds that you can have. And also take into consideration how much electricity that your house can take for that kiln to run efficiently. Like if your house is only 100 amps and your kiln is 40 amps, then your kiln's going to take 40% of your electricity for that day that you're running it. So I know my one of my friends right now, she has two kilns in her garage and she can't sufficiently heat her house while she's running both of her kilns because her kilns take up majority of her electricity. That is something to think about when you're setting up a kiln in your house. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you can always ask your electrician about that before you start hooking it up and paying your electrician to hook it up because it can be very costly to put a kiln in your house. Yes. And and do all of the research that you can beforehand because chances are a typical electrician that you're going to meet up with is not going to know exactly the, the needs and for a kiln. Um, you know, you're going to need to bring information to the table, like what kind of plug you need, what kind of amperage you need, um, and have that information ready to present to whoever you're going to bring in to do the assessment of your home and see if it's a possibility. Yeah, I agree. They're not going to know what you need. You need to tell them what you need. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it is, I think it is worth it for me to have my kiln. I produce around 60 pieces a month. And because I used to borrow a kiln with the local high school, elementary school. Um, it was a hassle to try to go back and forth with my work. I guess it all depends on how much work you're producing 
and if you're selling your work enough that you can pay off your kiln and your electric bill. <laughs> yes, especially right now with like electricity being so expensive, you know. Yes. Definitely do your research before you like jump into um, moving a kiln into your house because in the long run, like it may be way more efficient and way more uh, financially smart for your practice to continue firing at a community studio or a school or whatever relationship that you have with um, the other makers in your community. Definitely. Yeah, I know my community studio, that's a little bit far away. Uh, well, not super far away. Uh, they, I looked into their studio practices before I decided to get my own kiln and to set up a home studio. And everyone's different. All their prices are different. But that studio said that it would cost anywhere around like 35 to $60 to run one of their kilns for either a bisque or a glaze firing. And I decided that it probably wasn't worth it for me to spend that amount of money. So I decided to go with sharing the high school kiln. And I feel like the only way I got that opportunity was because my mom worked at the school. So you really need to know the people and get your foot in the door if that's what you want, if that's what you need. And, or maybe you have all the opportunities to have your own kiln and have it safely and you have a great budget and a financial cushion to fall back on if something goes wrong, like a bad firing and you got glaze drips everywhere. That happened to me last month. <laughs> but yeah, it, it costs a lot of money to get a kiln. But if that's your goal, if, if that's what you want to do, if you're striving to go full time and you can pull it off and go ahead and do it. I mean, the worst that happens is you wasted like $2,500. <laughs> yeah. And I think also um, if you are looking to buy a kiln constantly, like be checking uh, websites like, you know, Craigslist and Facebook marketplace um, because people, people do pass those things on. Um, and, you know, knowing how to, like, replace your own elements, um, spending the time to learn how to do something like that could really be the difference between, you know, spending, you know, all of that money on a kiln. Or um, I actually ended up uh, with a kiln that I got at a yard sale for, like, 300 bucks. Wow. Um, and, like replace the elements it works fine um but that could that can be a little bit of a trap too because a lot of times people will like get rid of stuff because it no longer works um so yeah it's just a it's just a balance of like you know trying to be thrifty um but also making sure that you're gonna get a piece of equipment that's gonna work for your studio practice um but there are definitely ways to like operate within a budget um and just constantly be on the lookout for deals and let your friends know that you're looking for a kiln because if they know you're looking if they encounter a situation where you know like oh I'm somebody's looking to get rid of one then they know who to call so yeah talk Definitely. to your friends for sure yeah a hundred percent like 
I was trying to find a used kiln for a very long time before I invested in a brand new one. And I guess I just didn't want to take on someone else's headache if the kiln wasn't working anymore or if I had to spend more money on refurbishing it than buying a brand new one. But it is probably more beneficial because then you're going to learn how to change the elements. You're going to learn how to change kiln furniture. You're going to learn how to set it up in your own way like that's beneficial for your firing schedule i guess that was another thing that i didn't want to tackle (laughs) i i was just a little lazy about it because i had no idea anything about kilns and i just wanted to make my ceramic work but now that i have a kiln and i'm figuring things out about it it's really not that hard (laughs) to change the elements or to change the thermal couple or to figure out a firing schedule it all depends on what you're willing to do for your for your business i guess yeah totally yeah also um to have a budget with your studio it, I think it's very important to bring in the three R's of reuse, reduce, and recycle, because especially that everything is so expensive these days, and we have supply shortages, it's, I think it's so important to recycle your clay, recycle your glazes, like the glaze that comes off paintbrushes or anything, to have a mystery glaze, recycle your water, um, reduce the amount of things that you're buying. You can buy secondhand. You can go to a dollar store or even like a thrift store and find things that you can create into tools for your benefit. Um, There's so many opportunities out there, so many different things that you can get that can make your studio better or if not more efficient totally and at the end of the day like it's it's so stressful to you know to break the bank investing in something um that that you love you know you don't want that to be you know the part of the experience that you're having to focus on so the more ways that you can reduce that stress in your studio practice the better because that's just more time and energy that you get to spend on, you know, the things that you're really excited about your creative practice. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Don't feel, you don't want to feel bad about having to spend a crap ton of money on something that you're so passionate about. I mean, in another way you should be willing, I mean, if it's your full-time job like mine, You have to have that money set aside in case something bad does happen. So you are willing to spend that amount of money for your business. And the way I see it as it's more of an investment in my business than something negative because I know that I'm going to use it. I know I'm going to get like the time and effort out of it. I'm going to run it into the ground one way or another, <laughs> but I'm going to yeah. take care of it and I'm, I'm going to put my passion to it. And that's what matters to me. 
Mm-hmm. I think I more so mean like you just never want to break the bank, like trying to keep up with with somebody else or like you know getting the latest like technologies or something. Because I think more often than not, like there's so many ways to like make it work for your practice that that operate within your budget and will be you know more useful yes. to you in the long run. Like so, if it's you know a long term investment, like like you said, buying a kiln, like it's almost like looking at it like buying a car, you know? Um, oh, yeah. It's depending on, like, what you're using it for, how often you're using it, you know, if you're going to be able to, like, recoup your costs at all. And, yeah, just I think the biggest thing is is not not making the financial part of your practice um, stressful to, like, the best of your ability, you know? Yeah. For an example for that, I feel like a lot of people are looking into buying like the Giffen grips and not to like say anything negative about a Giffen grip, but they are very expensive, but you can live without it. You can do your work without a Giffen grip easily. So it's it's a very popular tool right now. But in my opinion, I don't think it's worth it. I mean, it depends on you as an artist and your workload, I guess. But if you're doing good without it, then maybe don't get it. Yeah, totally. Like, like you said, whatever, whatever is working for you, you know, that's, yeah, that's what your, your studio practice is for. You're not saying, oh, well, this person over here had this super fancy piece of equipment. And like, I think I would be able to do you know more production if I had that it's all in what we want out of it and don't put pressure on yourself if other people are more or not more successful but in your imposter syndromes coming out and you feel like you're not as worthy as they are like that is not the case at all we're all doing this on our own time in our own ways in our own spaces and you really you really do make it what you want out of it i think i said that like five times this episode but it's true (laughs) well my last question for you katie is where can people find you online Sure. Um, okay. Online, I am on Instagram at Wolfpack Art, no spaces. Um, and then I also have a website where you can see like my full portfolio of work, my work for my BFA. Um, and I have a shop on there as well. That's katiepack.com. Um, there you can read like my artist statement and see what I've been up to on my CV. Um, and then I also just have a, a feature show that opened with uh, Charlie Cummings Gallery. So I am on their website as well if you'd like to see any of my new work. Um, very, very excited about those pieces. Very excited to be on this podcast today. And thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute delight. Oh, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for taking the time to answer all my questions and chat about studios. It's been a blast. (laughs) Awesome. I hope to hear from you soon. Oh, you will. (laughs) Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Katie. Have a great day.
You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned some new tips and tricks for working in your studio. It's important to work safely, balance your studio time, and most importantly, have fun in your space of creativity. Don't forget to keep up with the podcast on Instagram at baddiebitches underscore podcast. Once again, here's your friendly reminder to stay baddie bitches.